Hi everyone, this is Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, I'm your host, Matt Lesky. I'm a cis, white, gay man and a Chicago resident, but most importantly, I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts from across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Joining us today is Jose Clevenger. Jose, thank you so much for coming. Uh, Would you mind just starting out um, introducing yourself, your role here at Howard Brown, and your pronouns, please? Sure, no problem. Hi, everyone. My name is Jose Clevenger. Uh, I am the manager of the contact tracing team, and I'm going by the pronouns he, him, his. Perfect. So, yeah, you you said it, contact tracing. That's the... uh, the topic of today's episode, uh, and you know better than anybody here at Howard Brown, um, all about that. So uh, we're going to pick your brain a little bit and educate everybody on what contact tracing is and why it's so important to to the mission of Howard Brown. So before we got talking, uh, we almost started diving right in and I said, wait, let's you know wait till we're recording to talk about it. So you said you've been uh, in this role for how long now? Uh, two years and a half. Two, two and a half years, and you said that you were the first contact tracer? Yes. Okay, and now you're manager? Yes. Okay, so how has the department um, developed since you first started? Well, since I start, uh, to make the story about contact tracing like a little more uh, faster, uh, when we started, it was only like two managers and three contact tracers. Okay. And a lot of volunteers. That was around May 2020. Uh, by June 2021, I became the first uh, official uh, contact tracer for Howard Brown. And well, we start from scratch, basically. I was under PSS. Uh, the program starts to grow pretty fast. We bring temporary contact tracers. And the, the way how he developed this uh, program, it was like, getting ideas from other different programs, like based in the, in the, in the idea how Brown was providing a contact tracer since 2002, mm-hmm. when we used to do contact tracing for HIV and syphilis. Gotcha. And we say, well, let's go, into, let's go into start with this, bring the idea, develop everything. And it was cool. It was hard, start from zero, but... Yeah. Once we once we get all, all the tools and everything, it was pretty easy. The only the only hard thing for us it was I showed to the city of Chicago we were here to help. Gotcha, making people aware that this yes. is something we do. So that's this episode in part serves to do that because I know uh, awareness of all of our resources here at Brown is something that every department struggles with of making sure that people know that they can reach out to us for this. So just. Before we get ahead of ourselves, um, what is contact tracing for people who aren't in healthcare or you know don't really know what this is? Okay, well that's a good question. Let's go into do it in a in a in an easy way for people to understand. It's basically the process of assessing and managing uh, people who has been exposed to a disease or mm, we can say to prevent an onward transmission. Mm-hmm. That is that is like the the ideal concept of, of contact tracing. Yeah. But when we, when we talk about contact tracing in our daily basis is call patients to try to trace the origin of a disease in a specific. Gotcha. That's what we do. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, so you had this, who could you have gotten it from? Let's reach out to them. Let's reach out to who they could have gotten it from and just kind of 
really trace, contact trace the paths of an infectious disease. So um, you said uh, we had it in some form kind of in like 2002 um, and like a little bit throughout the years leading up to when we've had an official department in in the last two years. Um, So was COVID kind of the, the reason that we started this practice or was it for another reason? At the beginning, it was syphilis and HIV, Okay. as I told you a few minutes ago. Uh, the idea of bringing all these tools to contact tracing was created by the PSS department and the two doctors, like, mm-hmm. start to check where PSS we is, the first is partner services. Partner services, okay. Yes, okay, okay. partner services. Yep. Sorry. No, you're good. I, I'm Like I said, I've only been here for years, so I'm still... There are some acronyms that elude me sometimes, so just clarifying. So... Um, Sorry, continue. I interrupted what you're saying. Okay, don't worry. Uh, when we bring the idea to to contact tracing, we got a lot of different things from from PSS and, and the way how they were doing the interviews, how they tried to elicit contacts, mm-hmm. and we adapt everything. We develop a, a new script. Uh, at the beginning, we do everything in only one Excel sheet, and, <laughs> and it was crazy yeah like wait every every day at 11 a.m for the doctors to put the information there about the positive uh, cases and call all the people basing the questions we got from from partner services gotcha uh, it was hard yeah but we did it we yeah did it. so so what i'm hearing is it was a part of partner services before until contact tracing was made its own department yes and then from there you kind of had to adapt the way things were being run mm-hmm. uh, through, through one massive spreadsheet and I didn't think about this being, that's a great point that you brought up of doctors loading in new information every day at 11. I didn't, obviously it makes sense, but the fact that more patients are being updated every day, the job really never ends. Yes. Uh, you're always kind of, you know. Always um, pretty busy. I can say during the year 2020, my day starts at 7 a.m. and finish around 10 p.m. every day, sometimes Good. Saturday. Great. Because the idea, it was like, reach out all the patients in the first 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Why? Because at the, at the beginning of, of COVID-19, remember, we need to take care of the cases like as soon as yeah. we got the results because it was like really, really, really bad in, in transmission. Yeah. And we have high numbers. And, and in some point during the, the, the year 2020, uh, we have we received like 500 cases per day and it was only 13 contact tracers. Right. And believe me, it was crazy. It was really, really bad. But we managed the situation. Yeah. We uh, really managed the situation. Well, I want to reiterate again, thank you for taking time to come talk to me because like you just stated, it's uh, something that doesn't slow down. Um, is this service just for STIs or is it really just any infectious disease or what um, What makes up the bulk of the what you're tracing? Well, you can use it in different aspects of your life. Contact mm-hmm. tracing is, is made basically to get information and collect data and and build different reports and dashboards, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, at the beginning, we started here using it for, for STIs. Uh, when we switched to contact tracing, it really works. It really works because we got a lot of data and we were able to show to the people of the city and, and everybody here inside Howard Brown, it was working. And and 
after a year and a half, we switched everything for monkeypox. And we were the first clinic into contact tracing for, for, for monkeypox. Okay. And it was really, really, really good. See the, how the reception of the people after we called them before and, and be, how around calling them because we are taking care of them. It was that sensation of feel the people like knowing, hey, they're calling us because they care. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Because Howard Brown is, across all of our departments, makes a really good faith effort to to show the communities that we're listening and responsive and we're there for them. So contact tracing, I feel like, is a really tangible um, representation of that. But this might seem like an obvious question, and I feel like in part you did kind of answer it, but um, why does Howard Brown provide these services or why do they choose to invest resources into something like contact tracing? Because you might say, or people might say, oh, like, we'll just treat diseases as they come to us. And it's not it's not our responsibility to ask you, you know, who have you seen, and then to reach out. Like, that should be something our patients are doing. Why, why does Howard Brown choose to have a team that helps with that? Got it. Okay, well, as you know, Howard Brown is an, is an FQHC uh, center, or if you don't understand that acronym, it's a Federal Qualified Healthcare Center, okay? Uh, we provide services to all the patients looking for assistance if they have a medical emergency or necessity. And with contact tracing, remember during that days, people need to stay isolated, and Howard Brown was able to provide food assistance transportation, medical assistance. It, it was it was like, like the, the complement to help the city and the people to stay safe and, and, and feel secure during this, this hard time. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was, it, Howard Brown, is, it's been like that big support yeah. through contact tracer to the, the people must need it. In special, the, the, the population of the, the Latino community or, or, or the, the brown community all, all around the city, they don't trust in contact tracing. They don't trust. That was very, very challenging for us like to get information yeah. from, from these people. Yeah. But we, we got it. We, we went through everything with mm-hmm. them. We, yeah. were, we were able to call them like two, three, four times only to hear people like expressing all their feelings, their fears about COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And that makes us feel really good as I, a team. I bet. And that's an, that's an excellent point and an excellent answer to that question because contact tracing is more than just, oh, you have this disease isolate, move on. Especially when it comes to COVID, when there's so much uncertainty, Howard Brown can then say, you know, oh, you know, somebody you've had contact with tested positive, you need to isolate, but also we can offer you, like you said, food transportation, um, you know, behavioral health, um, mental health options, whatever you might need. Uh, We talk about it a lot on the podcast, um, about like suite of wraparound services to help people. So it makes sense that um, contact tracing is kind of a first touch point for some people, maybe. Yes. Um, that strikes me as a lot of pressure to, because in some cases, aren't the people you're contacting like not necessarily patients of Howard Brown? So you you might be their first person they've spoken to that mm-hmm. works for Howard Brown. So you have to like really represent yes. the organization well, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, are we... You said a little bit, are we unique in providing this service? Um, or like if I saw somebody at Rush... For monkeypox, would rush do contact tracing as well? 
Okay, good question. Uh, no, right now, uh, there's other centers providing these services too. For example, uh, UIC, Esperanza Health, Northwestern University, Rush, and also CDPH was providing contact tracing. Okay. But at the beginning, uh, Howard Brown was the was in the, in the spotlight, you mm -hmm. know? Like, we were doing this at the beginning. CDPH took part of what... what, what how we uh, build the structure of the interview, the script, how we, how we build the script, the questions, the options we give to the patients. What happened? Uh, we managed the CICT forum for all the contact tracers and clinics all around the city. Oh, wow. At the beginning, it was, it was me with one of the directors of, of the public health department, and after that, another person from, t from technical assistance took the, the direction of the, of the forum because I was really, really busy mm -hmm. with all the cases we were having. Yeah. And it was too much because I have to prepare like data, a topic for everybody to discuss. And, and people was like waiting every Tuesday at 4 p.m., more than 200 people only to hear data, options, uh, best practices for contact tracing mm -hmm. and where is the city right now about that topic right it was really good it was hard at the beginning because i'm i'm the kind of person who is like a little shy when 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 needs to speak in in, in front of, of a lot of people but that really helps yeah because i provide like very, very, a, a lot of confidence for, for new contact tracers. Yeah. I'm always saying, look at my experience. I, I, I start as you, and, and it, was, it was really, really hard like, to, I was having, like, for example, at the beginning, because I spent too much time with the, with the headset, oh, yeah. I had ear infections. Oh, wow. And I, say, and, I, and I feel really bad because I can call patients, and I say, well, at least, I'm not going to call patients, but I'm going to do letters to send them to all the, 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 the people, for example, schools, works, and everything, like try to keep safe their space and, and, and all the regular life after, after COVID. Uh, but at this point, yes, we are not the only people doing contact tracing. Around the city, there is more clinics doing gotcha. it. It kind of reinforces what I've known to be true or what I've heard to be true uh, is that Howard Brown tends to be a bit of a thought leader uh, when it comes to stuff like this. Like other places adopt it, uh, but they might turn to us for that specialized touch of how to do it really well about how to, like you said, cater the, the questions and, and the way that you talk to people um, to, to really get the optimal result. And that kind of leads into my next question because I have to think like, if I got a call from some random person saying that I had been exposed to something, especially if it was something maybe more private or that people wouldn't want to, you know, talk about like an STI or something. Mm -hmm. If I got a call saying that I was exposed to an STI, it, I don't know that it would be really easy to like uh, be honest about like, you know, who I, you know, had slept with after or, or things like that or with, about personal habits to, to really give you the information you want. So what kind of challenges are there when talking with, um, you know, an, an individu individual, they pick up the phone and you tell them something, are, 
is it always easy? Do they always like buy in and really give you the information you need? Or how does that all work? What is the thought process that goes into formulating those scripts? Wow. <laughs> Very good question. If we talk about STIs, mm -hmm. uh, it's not easy. People, they don't want to share their private life yeah. because they feel they are going to be exposed or that can cause a problem in the future, maybe with their partners or families because they don't want to share nothing extra right. about their sexual life. We always have to try to build trust in every call. We always have to let them know this is a very, very, very private and confidential space where it's protected by HIPAA laws and they're not going to be like exposed. And mm -hmm. we always try to let them know every time when we ask for information, contacts or, or something, is because we want to take care of these people too. That is the best way to show love. Hey, I have something with you. We have a close contact. The best way to tell you, like, I love you is basically, hey, somebody's taking care right. of you. Everything is private. We're never going to notify people about sexual partners. It's like, it's hard mm -hmm. to do it. But the, the, the daily interviews, the time you put there, your love, when you put your love in the, in the work you're doing, people feel that, that warm, you know? Yeah. And they feel like these people wants to take care of me. Yeah. And they start like to be more soft with you. They they are not rude, and they start to share information. Yeah, with contact tracing, it's similar because at the beginning we used to do some questions about the sexual life of the of the patients, and they don't want to share it because they say, "No, my family they can know I got it because I have something out of my house." But as I told you, we always ask for a private space to talk. We always ask for confidentiality and we let them know, hey, you're safe with us. We're here to talk. And if you need to talk to me again, this is my direct number. That's what we do in contact tracing. We always provide, when we build trust with the patient, hey, this is my direct number, just in case if you want to notify more partners, if you want to share more information, or if you, simple, if you have questions, come back to me, call me, and I'm going to be there with you. Gotcha. Yeah, so it's really injecting that little bit of, of personality and heart and warmth into the conversation that is it's about a clinical matter but you have to know that there's a real person on the other end of the line that you're talking to and that really uh, allows people to feel like they're in a safe space to open up but that yeah it does strike me as like it would be a little I don't know like I, I imagine there's a lot of scenarios where you might be notifying someone and that of something that they could have gotten and it might have an impact on their relationship, like a long-term relationship. Like, like you said, like maybe there's a situation where they contracted something in, you know, uh, a relationship they had with someone outside of their normal monogamous relationship. So that might cause problems. Um, do you ever like hear frustration from people that you contact? Yes, of course. How do you handle that? Well, uh, we always give the patient like the first option to, if you want to talk with your partner, feel free to do it. And if they say, no, I can't, it's too much, that is going to be a problem for me. We always like, okay, can you give us the information? And we are going to call them. We're going to let them know like in private, like it's completely confidential. And well, when we when we call the partners, it's, it's like, 
oh my god i think i know where i got it or i don't know what is happening here i let me talk to my partner it's my partner positive people start to do questions yeah and we always have to give or provide them the same answer hey this is strictly confidential mm -hmm. we are only notifying you to bring you to the clinic and get treated it's like this person is trying to take care of you okay that's what this person wants. that's a good reminder of like somebody cares about you and that's why they notified us but i'm sure if you told somebody and they're like well is that my boyfriend told me about this, blah, blah, blah. And you have, because of HIPAA, you just have to be like, I can't disclose any of that. You mm -hmm. can ask them yourself, uh, but we're just letting you know to get treated. So you kind of yes. have to like. Some people get mad. I get bet. Mad. It's like, it's like, okay, if you're not going to tell me who is the person, don't talk to me. Yeah. We try once again, we send another person or basically I take the call by myself and, and, and I try to talk to them, but not always is, is like, like a, like a, like a perfect day doing calls. Oh, I bet. I bet. I can't imagine what some of those conversations are like. Um, once you notify somebody, how, like, what's the success rate of people seeking treatment through us? Because I imagine there might be some people who, especially if it's an infection or something that might be like COVID or monkeypox, where you basically just have to like ride it out and it's, there's not like a, a really quick treatment for it. Um, I imagine there might be some people who are just more likely to ignore it and just pretend they never received the phone call. Does that happen often? Or like how often do people actually follow through on the recommendations that we're giving them? Do you know what? That's a very good point because our rate of people not reach, for example, for gonorrhea and chlamydia to bring them back to treatment or to complete the treatment uh, is less than 5% wow. of our cases. We have a very solid solid like process to try to get in touch with these people we yeah. call them we send them a text message we really try to let them know something is happening mm -hmm. okay and when people they don't want to get treated or they refuse to get the call like we notify them we let them know and if they don't want to come it's out of our hands yeah sometimes can be a little frustrated mm -hmm. Uh, some of my, my contact tracers they come back to me and they say can we call can we try again maybe revisit, maybe yeah. let's go to give them like the time or space to think and maybe we can do it again mm -hmm. if the person say please don't call me again we don't want to go over your privacy and your decision is your body is your life you yeah. want to decide that but if the person never told us about don't call me back it's I say, okay, let's go to give them some space to think and call them tomorrow. Yeah. Maybe they're going to be more open. They're going to think, okay, it's it's my body, it's my, res my responsibility, and they're going to come. Or if they are out of the state, we usually, we try to help them looking for places in another state wow. to get treated. Yeah, so you're really doing the most when it comes to contacting these people because I feel like in a lot of healthcare settings, even separate from contact tracing, the way that they communicate is very like, here's your notice, we told you once, that's it. And so yes. it's refreshing to hear that Howard Brown is like, well, we'll try a couple times. If you say, absolutely not, we don't want it, we'll back off. Or, you know, we might revisit a little bit later. Really doing the best that we can to get the message across to people because it's obvious that, you know, this is important that they know this. Um, 
what happens in a situation where, you know, somebody might test positive for an STI, but they visited a place like Steamworks where they're unsure of a partner's name or even how to contact them, or they're on an app like Grindr um, where, you know, they have a username. It Like, does contact tracing help with that, or is that just kind of a, well, we'll hope? Well, uh, we always try to ask for names. Mm-hmm and phone numbers, if they say it was completely anonymous, like at Steamworks or Grindr yeah. or any other app, uh, we always encourage them, like, to if you can get in touch with this person again in some point, let them know if they can come to the clinic and notify they were supposed. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everybody have, like, I can say the guts to yeah. talk to other people and say, hey, Obviously. I got an STI, I need, I, I need you to come to the clinic yeah. or... Can we go together or because it's 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 2022, but it's still being like a taboo, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to say that, but still being a taboo for people like to talk openly about about STIs. I bet. So, yeah, most of the time, their best option is just like if you see that profile on Grindr again, like try to at least give them a heads up. Um but we don't, do we have people that will go on to Grinder for our patients or is that like we kind of leave that to them? Well, basically, we, that is out of our hands. Yeah. And we have to like, if the patient see this person again in the, in the, in the app, gotcha. if they can get the information and they want to call us back, we can call them and we can provide the service. Gotcha. Okay. Um, aside from a situation like that, what's the most challenging thing about contact tracing about contact tracing if we go back to 2020 i can say when we start to use the google phones numbers oh because at the at the beginning we didn't we 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 never have any any tool to make the calls and we have to create google phone numbers and when people see that we are numbers they don't want to pick up the calls oh yeah some people they get the calls but they say "Eh, this is a scam don't call me again Mm. or some people it was like hey uh, I'm not legal in this country. I'm not going to provide any kind of information. Mm. And in some point, I have to appear on TV, like letting the people know right now we are building a, a program. We are calling them from different random numbers because everybody was working remote. And I was I was trying to convince all the, the, the Latino community, hey, guys, tú tienes que... Agarrar esta llamada. You yeah. need to pick up this call. It's for you. It's for your safety. It's for your health. And our rates starts to go up. Okay. We start to see a lot of people taking the calls. Mm-hmm. And with the implementation of our uh, Green Central application, uh, it was a totally different story because every time when, when you see the phone like ringing, it says Howard Brown Health. Mm. people was more open to get the calls it was like sometimes people was happy like getting the calls finally you're calling me you're going to help me i need this this and that and and it was really good it's really really good yeah that that does make sense that it would be difficult to get people to trust numbers that you know just show because 
I, I mean, personally, in my voicemail greeting on my phone, I say I don't pick up numbers I don't recognize. So if it's important, leave a voicemail. I'll call you back. Um, but because of that, like, I, you can call me eight times and I still won't answer because if it's a number, I don't know. So that makes sense that we needed to kind of centralize the program we were using to make those calls. But also, like you said, educate the, the community that like, hey, this is something we're doing. And so if you get a phone call saying something like that, it's not somebody like prank calling you. This mm-hmm. is a, a real a real thing to take seriously. So um, that's good that we're yes, making that, progress on that. That was the most challenging, challenging thing around 2020, almost 2021. What's the hardest thing now? <laughs> wow. Right now, the most challenging thing I can find doing contact tracing for monkeypox is mm-hmm. trying to get contacts uh, like sexual partners. Okay. It's a little, little hard. But, you know, with all the COVID situation interviews and, and, and having my team calling patients to notify results about gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis, that opened a door. And being part of our gay community, it was like getting the calls and sharing information. Mm-hmm. They, they were like... We don't trust him if, if he's private or not because they, they only want to take care of their bags. Like, I don't yeah. want people, like, knowing I'm having MPV. They, yeah. I don't want people, like, knowing what is happening with my sexual life. And that was the challenge during this year, like, trying to get the sexual contact. But in some point, when they start to see all our mass vaccination events in, in different places uh, all around Boys Town, they start to pick up the calls. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, because I noticed that shift as well about monkeypox where eventually people were posting enough about it. Not necessarily that they were posting that they had it, but just kind of resources on where to find stuff that people started being more forthcoming with like, you know, look, this is a way to keep ourselves safe or, you know, I tested positive. Um, you know, this is something serious. So it makes sense that with that rise of you know, the discussion about it, that people would be more apt to disclose their sexual partners and kind of work together. Because a lot of, if you haven't listened to our monkeypox episodes, you can go back and listen. We had two of them. But uh, we talked a bit about how a lot of the response to the disease was spearheaded by the queer community and our willingness and openness to talk about it and to practice contact tracing really spared the larger community, larger straight community from the impact of monkeypox. So just another testament to how important this department Mm -hmm. is. Um, Speaking of monkeypox and um, I guess going back further COVID, what was it like? um, You mentioned a little bit, just like the incredible volume of of calls. Um, What was it like during like the beginning of COVID where we're practicing contact tracing um, was, did it feel, I don't know. What was that like for you for, to, to work in this during a a mass pandemic like that? Wow. Well, I can tell you the first thing I can tell you, we received around 23,000 calls during 2021 when we implemented the new COVID-19 hotline. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in one day we received a thousand calls. Yikes. People trying to schedule appointments for vaccination events. The contact tracing team was able to transfer more than 9,000 uh, appointments from our system of, for, for appointments to our EMR system. Uh, it was overwhelming. 
Yeah, some sometimes my contact tracers they say, "Hey Jose, I I I need a day, yeah. I need a day," and I completely understand. I say not everybody's open to do OT from Monday to Monday, right. from eight a.m. to seven or ten p.m. Sometimes eleven p.m. because the mass vaccination event was the next day at seven or eight a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, about monkeypox, we have a raise in the calls during the month of June, July, and August. August it was only eleven thousand calls. Only 11. Only August. 11,000. Yes. And, and the contact tracing team was able to schedule more than 9,000 vaccines during that time. As a result of those calls. Yes. Wow. Some people were like a little mad because we have like 7,000 voicemails and we were trying to call all these yeah. people back. And I, I, I can tell you as a manager, in some point I get desperate, like, I need to help these people. These people, mm-hmm. is, they, they, they are going to think we are not taking care of them. It's like they're going to kill me. <laughs> but <laughs> but in some point, we made it. Yeah. We made it. We call back all these people. We bring them to the clinics to get the vaccine. And, and it was funny. Like People was really happy to, to, to receive the call. People was like... like like, hey, I win the lottery. Finally, yeah. <laughs> Finally you're calling me. I'm getting my vaccine. Oh, my God. I'm so happy. Yeah. And some of them, they receive the call, but they don't qualify. Mm-hmm. And and you go again over the questions, and you try to help them to understand the questions and open their minds, like, remind places or mm-hmm. situations they can get exposed. And I can say, till now... Between COVID and, and, and monkeypox, I'm so proud of my team. They made an amazing job, like helping yeah. all the the Howard Brown patients. Yeah, huge kudos to to everybody on the contact tracing team because that just that amount of calls alone to 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 deal with and track down and schedule vaccines or treatment like that's seems. I feel I'm shocked that there wasn't more like burnout or people getting frustrated within the department because that just that amount of of work I feel like at some point you're like is it ever going to end like am I making a difference because you're just calling and calling and I don't know is that hard sometimes to kind of see the forest through the trees is the expression of like keep a bigger picture of what you're doing and, and know that what you're doing matters even though it may just be calling it's day not day easy out. yeah it's not easy believe me every day when we start our day we have a meeting at morning huddle where we discuss like we celebrate good things we discuss about bad things it's like the place where you can put out of your chest yeah, everything you and I completely understand sometimes contact tracers they don't want to take calls because they they feel like people is not treating me yeah. like fair today and say it's okay take some hours for yeah. you yeah because um, that I, I'm always say I'm blessed by my team because I can talk to them like openly and and they are they are always like ready when I need something. It's mm-hmm. not it's really hard to hear from them and know it's really hard. Yeah. But as I say, okay, they're giving me everything, but I'm trying to give everything to them. Yeah. And that has been my philosophy working with the contact tracers. Like, please be open with me. Try to 
when you don't feel good to take calls, let me know. You, I can, you can support me doing another stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have to say this here, my coordinators, that is like, okay, I have a brain, but if I have an extension of my brain, Maria Quirils and MJ Gallas, that these two ladies, they are amazing. They, they can think about my ideas. I can put the idea on the table and they can develop a very, very good program, tool, idea, everything. Yeah. They're really good. And they always try to keep the contact traces with a very good high moral. Good. Because I think that is the principal thing. Keep the moral of the team up. Make them feel they are support. And when you need to step back for some reason, do it. You're a human. You're not yeah. a machine. Yeah, that's so so good to hear. And it sounds like you've created a really great environment for your team. Because, um, yeah, I just have to imagine that'd be so stressful. One, being like a primary representative of Howard Brown, but in such an important capacity where you're letting people know sometimes really hard to hear information um, and trying to get information out of people like just just taxing so it's 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 good to know that uh your team works that way and they they have your support but um next question what did we learn from these past two epidemics because you you said we've we've gotten a lot of data from people and um did we learn anything about how you know these spread or best ways to kind of respond to these kind of epidemics what what have we taken out of those Okay, well, what we learn from all of this is sometimes you can control everything. Sometimes things are out of your hands. Sometimes people, they don't want to talk to anybody because they, they don't trust. Yeah. They only need space for, for, for them to heal. Like about their, the, the, the disease, but also about their spirit, you know? But... I think you have to show them commitment, compassion, love. That's the three principal things you need to have in your mind. The person who is on the other side of the of the phone tomorrow can be you. Mm. Okay? That is something I always tell to my contact tracers. Treat your patients as you want to be treated. That is the best way, the best way to learn every day a different tool, a different thing. When you receive a, a, a really bad call, let us know you can step back for a few minutes or maybe one hour and come back full of good energy and love. Yeah. That is something I am always have like present with everybody. Uh, other of the thing what we can say is, wow, we're ready for the next one. Okay. It's like the transition between COVID and monkeypox was pretty easy for yeah. us because we built like pretty fast the questionary we use smart sheets to to complete a form and make the work more easy for everybody mm-hmm. it's like we learn we need to be aware and ready just in case yeah that is something that is in my mind always it's in 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 the mind of my contact tracers and as i told you i feel i have the best team ever they're ready for everything i love that yeah that led perfectly into my next question was um you know how do we stay ready but it's it's great that we were able to pivot so quickly because I, th- I don't think anybody anticipated another epidemic coming so quickly on the heels of, of COVID. Um, 
like the, the queer community just didn't think that it, that was possible to happen again so quickly. So um, it's really remarkable that your team was able to just like, well, we've done this before, we can do it again. Uh, and let's make some new forms, make some new scripts and really tackle the next outbreak. So uh, do, do you think if, if something like another COVID happened six months from now, your team would be ready? I mean, what resources, if you had a wish list for your team, uh, is it more people? Is it more time? Better uh, research? Like what uh, what wish list items do you have that would really bring contact tracing to the next level? If we say uh, in six months from now, the first thing is, wow, keeping the good energy. Mm-hmm. That is the first thing that I always want to all my team. Uh, in the ideal world, oh my God, have more people can be an option, but I feel the six full-time contact tracers I have, they are amazing. Mm. They've been with me since the beginning of the, of, the, of the program. And the thing that the temporary contact tracers I get, they, they catch all the information pretty fast. We show to Howard Brown with the team of six contact tracers and two coordinators we managed a search yeah. during the last year in December. And it was hard, hard to fight against all these cases. But we did it. Mm-hmm. And that is the reason why I, I think I have the perfect team right now. They don't answer. need nothing extra like yeah. to manage another search or a new, a new outbreak or a new pandemic. I hope we don't have another <laughs> one. Right. I really hope no. But... I think I have a very good team ready, ready to fight. That's such an awesome answer. I ask a lot of different departments that question uh, just because working uh, within a nonprofit or at a federally qualified health center, resources is always, you know, whether it's money or space to, to administer health care or, um, you know, we've talked about on other episodes, um, 340B funding from from uh, pharmacies and drug companies to keep things going. So there's always a little a, a need for something more. Uh, but it's really refreshing to hear that you're like, no, we got it. Like my my contact, my team can handle it. So um, that's a really a really wonderful answer. Um, we're getting close on time, so I won't keep you too much because, like we've talked about, you have a huge role to get back to. But I have a uh, two questions to round out. So the first one would be, how do we normalize being honest with our sexual histories to protect one another because you guys facilitate those conversations conversations or at least encourage those conversations um if if contact tracing wasn't there how do you what tips do you give to people um who who have to tell a loved one that like hey i might have exposed you to something like that's a hard conversation to have how do we encourage that kind of atmosphere of being honest and being open and protecting one another Great question. <laughs> I know it's great, a big, it's a big question, but it's a big question. But usually, the first thing what I talk to the people I know, like in my personal life, about about STIs is like you need to take care of yourself. That is the first thing. Mm-hmm. If you are having symptoms, or or if, if somebody notifies you, you are being exposed to an STI. The most decent thing to do is like notify your partners or provide the information uh, to leave the, the, the team to bring them to, to care, mm-hmm. okay? 
Uh, I'm always use the, the word love for this because if you've been able to have a close encounter with another person, it's, you're putting some love there. Yeah. And in the same way, you take the time to date or only to get in the app and, and do the things more faster. Mm-hmm. That person, it, it make a click with you. And I think the most decent thing to do is show love and notify your partner or let the professionals handle the, the, yeah. the situation. And in that way, you're going to be showing you care for that people. Yeah, I think that's a great answer that, you know, loving one another, the, to, in order to do that, you have to be honest with people and, and mm-hmm. you know, let, give them the best shot of protecting themselves and, and preventing the spread of something. Um, so that, I think that's a great sentiment. The last question, and I ask this of everybody, is um, if this episode had a, a moral to the story or one thing you want the audience to remember about this episode uh, as regards to contact tracing, what would it be? Um, whether that's, you know, what you just talked about or, or, or anything else, what do you want people to take out of the episode? Well, I want the people to remember always Howard Brown developed the contact tracing team and the contact tracing program to support all the people from Chicago. Okay, I want the people to understand we are here for them to take care of our people. I don't know you, you don't know me, but I care about you. That's the principal thing I want people to remember always every time when they see in their phones the the name or the number of Howard Brown. Yeah, it's. I don't know who you are. You don't know who I am, but I want to take care of you. I love that. I, that, Thank you. That gives me all the warm fuzzies to to know that you know we're a part of an organization that really does genuinely care about its patients. So I think that's a great uh, a great thought to, to end on. So again, thank you so much for your time. Um, I joke with every guest that everybody I talk with has so much information and things to share that I always say like, I'll have to have you back, which sounds like a fake, but I genuinely do mean it. Like I'll have to have you back at some point to talk more about this. But in the meantime, you're busy. So uh, I'll let you go. But thank you so much for your time. Jose. No problem. Thank you. And that has been our episode on contact tracing with Jose Clevenger. If you're interested in Howard Brown's contact tracing, you can visit the link below in the description. Thanks for listening. <laughs>